Hi, my name is Maddie. Throughout this series, we will read each psalm as a call and response. If you are able, please stand as we recite Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord, who inclined to me and heard my cry. The Lord put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Blessed are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who do not go astray after false gods. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than can be numbered. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. I have told the glad news of deliverance and in the great congregation. I have not hid your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. O Lord, do not withhold your mercy from me. O Lord, do not withhold your mercy. Let your steadfast love preserve me. The word of the Lord. Please remain standing as we pray. Lord, we gather believing and trusting that you have something to say to us this morning. And so today we posture ourselves with open hearts, with open minds, with open hands. Would you speak, Lord, for your people are listening. Amen. You may be seated. It's just a pure joy for me to be able to spend time with you all this morning, um, to bring God's word. I love New Life Downtown. I love this congregation. This is family for Matthew and I. So thank you for sharing this time with me. I took a class in seminary from a professor named John Golden Gay, and he was a good Brit who only wore U2 and Coldplay and uh, Snow Patrol t-shirts to class. But he tells the story of when he was first ordained as an assistant rector in the Church of England. And um, they were tasked with basically bringing new forms of worship um, into their worship services. And one of the implications of that is that they weren't going to be using the Psalms as much in their worship services. So in a planning meeting one time, he made the comment, well, it's good that we're not using the stupid Psalms anymore because they're just so meaningless. And from across the room, the senior rector withered him with a look. And he said this, My boy, one day you will need the Psalms. Well, years later, Professor Golden Gay's wife developed multiple sclerosis. And as her condition worsened, he would um, cry out in grief. He was overwhelmed by the sadness and the burden of caring for her. And so 
During those sleepless nights, he would get up, sit on his couch, and cry out to God in protest and in anger. And in those moments, he realized that what the rector said was coming true. He was crying out to God, exclaiming his protest, his disappointment, his sadness. He saw the psalmist do this, and he realized he needed the psalms. And we need the psalms. They give language to the spectrum of human experience. And Professor Golden Gay ended up writing volumes about the psalms. And in one of his commentaries, he describes the psalms as a literary sanctuary. It offers a textual holy place where humans share their joys and struggles with brutal honesty in God's presence. So our psalm today, Psalm 40, reaches into the human experience, this spectrum of human experience, both praising and thanking God and declaring of his goodness and also expressing the hurt, the disappointment and the difficulty of being human. I think it expresses a lot of the stuff that we all feel, but sometimes we don't talk about very much. The beginning, the notation of this psalm says that it's a psalm of David, written for a choir director. So this is a psalm that was meant to be sung, and not like singing solo in the shower for no one else to hear. This is a psalm, a personal psalm, that was meant to be sung in community. It's about the journey together. And truly, that's the heartbeat of the Psalms. So let's look at our text today, beginning in verse 1. It says, <clears throat> I waited patiently for the Lord. Okay, waited patiently. This phrase is actually a little too tame, maybe a little too light for what the original language is actually trying to communicate. It doesn't fully capture the weight of the waiting. And what I mean by that is the W-E-I-G-H-T of the W-A-I-T-I-N-G, the weight of the waiting. Because in the original Hebrew, it's more like waiting, I waited. And this signifies vehement concern, or rather anxious waiting. The message translation simply says, I waited and waited and waited for God. And the reality is that for many of us, our waiting doesn't look very patient, right? Our waiting looks anxious or frustrated, maybe wide-eyed and tear-filled. And we ask the question, when is God going to show up? And then the second half of verse 1, he turned to me and heard my cry. He turned to me and heard my cry. The imagery here carries the idea that God finally looked. At last, he listened and decided to do something about the circumstances. The psalmist is describing what it feels like to be waiting and waiting and waiting. And then in God's timing, he turns and responds. Now in verse 2, it says, He lifted me out of the, the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. Now, whether it's a slimy pit of our own making through personal sin or it's evil and wickedness that is inflicted upon us, the imagery here is really strong. Literally, the Hebrew, the original language says the pit of voices or the pit of noise. When we are in the mud and muck of life and we are sinking, one of the dynamics is all the noise, this cacophony of voices 
And it makes the circumstances harder and oftentimes more confusing. So my husband and I, as it was mentioned, we have a five-month-old baby boy named Zeke. And currently we are co-sleeping with him, which means that he is in a bassinet about three feet from our bed. So what did we do? Like all good parents, we downloaded a white noise app. The white noise app ideally kind of muffles out all the noises that we might make in the night, in the dark. So whether I'm bumbling around in the dark, stubbing my toe on the end of the bed, or when I drop a shoe on the wooden floor, and I'm like, please don't wake up, please don't wake up, please don't wake up. But what this also means is that when Matthew and I are whispering to each other in the dark, a simple question like, at 2 a.m., we ask this question, uh, when was the last time he ate? It gets muffled and interpreted as something like, did you like Planet of the Apes? The noise actually creates confusion. The noise creates confusion. There is a sense of disorientation in the pit. But out of the confusion, God reaches down and lifts the psalmist up to solid ground. The second half of verse 2. It says, He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Now the contrast here is between sinking in the mud going under, and then being rescued, and finally the ground underneath does not give way. So the beginning of this psalm is a testimony to an experience of the Lord's deliverance. This is an experience of the Lord's deliverance for his people, the Israelites. It's likely referring to the Exodus, to the Red Sea crossing, and to Mount Sinai. So God responds to Israel's waiting. It was a long period of waiting, right? Wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, over and over, we're sure they said, I waited and waited and waited for God. God listens to their cries for help. God rescues. God reestablishes. And then God gives them a new song. Look at verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So this is a testimony, a testimony of God's faithfulness. And testimony in the form of song is found throughout the scriptures. It's a powerful way of telling the story of what God has done. You'll remember Hannah saying of God's faithfulness in giving her a son, Samuel. And then Moses' sister, Miriam, She rattled her tambourine in tune with God's deliverance. And then, of course, the song that we often hear around Christmas time, Mary's Magnificat, her song of rejoicing, was a declaration of God's promise in sending the Savior through her. So when God meets us in the waiting room of life, when he brings clarity to our confusion and pulls us from the pit, God gives us a new song to sing. And it's a testimony that must be told, even if we have to reach for words. Looking at verse 5, Many, Lord my God, are the wonders you have done, the things you planned for us. None can compare with you. Were I to speak and tell of your deeds, they would be too many to declare. Even if words fail us, 
when we find ways to tell the story, other people will be drawn in and summoned to put their trust in God. And so friends, when we sing our song, people come into the kingdom. This is a call to let your song be heard. Now, if this is where the psalm ended, we would have a nice, easy formula to follow. And it would go something like this. Step one, wait. Step two, wait some more. Step three, keep waiting. Ah, step four, God hears your cry, pulls you out of your difficult circumstances, and reestablishes you. And then step five, tell of the story of what God has done. And don't just tell it, but sing it. Sing it out loud. But here's the deal. Psalm 40 is far from formulaic, right? It's actually backwards. Because generally, lament leads to testimony of God's faithfulness. But here, the psalmist begins with testimony and then ends with lament. Here, praise for help precedes prayer for help. Praise for help precedes prayer for help. As Glenn said last week, this is another example of how the journey from lament to hope is often not a straight line. There's no formula to it. And daily life follows this non-patterned movement from joy to despair, from thanksgiving to trouble. Looking down at verse 12. For troubles without number surround me. My sins have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails within me. So in one single breath, words of thanksgiving and despair can be on our lips. Last week, we got the heartbreaking news that one of our friends had passed from a relentless disease that she had been dealing with for many years. The text came on the morning of Valentine's Day from her husband, and it simply said this. 11.37 p.m. She traded in the old, worn-out earth suit for a new sports model. In this one powerful line, our friend mysteriously captured both relief and grief. Relief that his wife wasn't suffering any longer in a body that just continued to fail her. And deep, deep grief that his life partner was now gone. I think Psalm 40 gives us words for the spectrum of emotion that we experience in this life. The very last verse of this psalm, verse 17. But as for me, I am poor and needy. May the Lord think of me. My colleague deals with chronic back pain from spinal stenosis. And he describes the elongated suffering that he has dealt with for over a decade. On good days, he can basically work through life and get most of life's um, issues dealt with in a manageable way. But on the bad days, he says this, imagine being lit on fire from the inside out. That's my reality. During a recent flare-up that lasted months, he became exhausted with everything. He was tired of hurting, worn out by the sleepless nights. 
He was burdened by being a burden to his family. And he describes the theological wrestling that he went through. He says this, Most of all, I was tired of the world that God had made. A world with a reality defined by pain I felt I could no longer endure. He says, I resonated with Dostoevsky's words in his book, The Brothers Karamazov. Says this, It isn't that I refuse to acknowledge God, but I am respectfully giving him back my ticket to a world like this. I think there are a few places in contemporary Western society where we are allowed the freedom to express this level of fear and doubt. So the provocative question for us today is this, friends. Are our churches safe spaces to wail and weep for loss and prejudice, injustice and hatred, pain and brokenness? The Korean-American theologian Sung Chan Ra says this, Lament in the Bible is a liturgical response to the reality of suffering and engages God in the context of pain and trouble. The hope of lament is that God would respond to human suffering that is wholeheartedly communicated through lament. Unfortunately, lament is often missing from the narrative of the American church. So I think Psalm 40 not only gives us an illustration of the nonlinear human experience, it also gives us permission to lament. Now, commentators slightly differ on this, but it is estimated that over 50% of the psalms are psalms of lament. And these are obviously worthy of our examination. And I think so much so that the leadership of New Life Downtown has decided to study a number of the psalms of lament during the season of Lent, the season that we are currently in. Intentionally, they want to dig into the scriptures that reflect a season of waiting, longing, recognizing pain, and loss. So let's understand lament a little bit more. Lament can be defined as the practice of naming and navigating pain, longing, and loss. First, we have to name it, and then we have to find ways of navigating it. Now, let's compare this to grumbling. Grumbling is when we stop talking to God and we start talking about God, right? And the most clear example that we have of this is when the Israelites talked to Moses about God. You see the triangulation involved in that? Lament is taking our complaints straight to God, but there is a little triangulation in grumbling. Inherent to lament is the acknowledgement that ultimately God is in control. We trust God with the anguish and adversity of life, and we pray with the belief that our prayers have the power to mobilize God. Do something, God. Last week, it was defined as proof of the relationship with God. So a lament emerges out of a relationship of trust. A few years ago, my mentor and biggest cheerleader in ministry, a man named Cliff Anderson, passed away after a valiant battle with cancer. 
And just a week before he passed, I was in the hospital cafe getting my go-to caffeinated comfort drink. And I was a mess of emotions. I had just spent an hour at Cliff's bedside in hospice. And as I took that first sip of coffee, I gulped down the fact that Cliff was going to die, and soon. And in my mess of emotions, I couldn't begin to articulate what I was feeling or experiencing in that moment. And just then, around the corner, a man came pushing a woman in a wheelchair. And she was hunched over, she was frail, and she was colorless. You couldn't even tell what age she was. I had no idea if she was his sister, his wife, his mom, a friend. But the man was wearing a t-shirt, and it said this. Four-letter word, cancer. And I decided I wanted that t-shirt. In black. And that was the beginning of my journey of lamenting Cliff's death. It was raw. It was real. Sometimes it was clumsy and it was awkward at first. But slowly I moved from the words on that t-shirt to the words of the psalmist when he says, My heart fails within me. My heart fails within me. And I clung in faith to the promise that God could deal with whatever emotions I had to express to him. So, corporately, what if the church created space for others to hurt and doubt and cry and flail and scream and question just in the same way that we create space to lament? Just in the same way that we create space for people to give thanks and to praise? What if we decided to be radically human with one another? What if we did nothing more than reach across the table, clasp hands, and weep with one another? I, I think all we would need to bring is space and proximity and presence and empathy and perhaps the words of the psalmist. Because in the psalms, we have a rich resource to enable robust faith a robust faith in any situation. And I think Psalm 40, along with the other psalms of lament, begins to give us permission to incorporate lament into our vernacular. Some friends who recently had an early miscarriage attempted to create the appropriate space for their grief and their heartache, so they decided to name the baby. And they wrote a letter, and they wrote a poem, They spoke of the lost dreams and expectations for their little one. And they gave themselves the sacred space to lament this life that would never be. I wonder what, if this were more of a common practice for Christians as they engage the difficulties of life. As it was mentioned, I work with seminary students who are pursuing academic degrees in pursuit of theology, theology degrees. But in addition to their academic studies, these students engage in what is called embodied practices. And one of the required assignments is to write or create their own psalm of lament. And so some students write prose, some perform spoken word, 
Others create a piece of art, and some write lyrics to a song, and then they put it to a tune. They lament personal pain and loss, but they also communally lament. Things like the racial divide that continues to plague our country. And they lament things like disease and famine that is wrecking villages in other parts of the world. One student even lamented this epidemic of individualism and isolationism that is leaving people lonelier than ever before. Student after student made this comment about the assignment. I've never done anything like this before. I was always told, now just keep things positive and light, or don't get angry with God, because that's a sign of weak faith. Or rather than expressing lament, they talked about previously dealing with it through one of their favorite coping mechanisms. You know what I'm talking about. Denial, numbing out, pretending. Take your pick. I think when we don't give space to lament, we deny people the language of disorientation and human pain and loss. Brady Boyd said it well last week in his blog, in the face of many tragic events that were happening right here in Colorado Springs and nationwide, he says this, grieving is a journey and shortcuts are not allowed. So friends, I think here's the reality. Unlamented lament and ungrieved grief eventually comes out sideways. Unlamented lament and ungrieved grief eventually comes out sideways. It's like in swimming, you know when you push a kickboard down underwater, then it shoots out like a rocket and pops up out of the water? Yeah, you can hold the kickboard underwater for a while, but ultimately you can't control when and how it pops up out of the water. And being a swimmer my entire life, I can't count how many kickboards to the chin I either inflicted upon my teammates or received from my teammates, right? We need to provide the space to lament. And oftentimes our lament is related to God's timing. Because in this psalm, There are multiple phrases related to timing and requests that God would do something and do it quickly. Look at verse 1. I waited patiently for the Lord. Verse 13. Come quickly, Lord, to help me. Verse 17. You are my God. Do not delay. The psalmist captures an aspect of this life that we all wrestle with. God's timing. Now, raise your hand if every prayer that you've ever prayed was answered in the way that you expected and in the time that you expected. No? Okay. Yeah, if that were the case, we could probably all pack up and go home, right? That's not our reality. Many of our prayers are reflections of the words of the psalmist. Waiting, come quickly, do not delay. Well, Psalm 40 is a ballad. It's a song. It's intended to be put to melody, and it has been most famously sung by none other than Bono of U2 in his song titled 40, patterned after Psalm 40. Bono beautifully captures the angst in this question as he not only sings, but he practically wails 
How long? How long? At every concert that he performs 40, the thousands of people in the grandstands probably don't even know it. But as they sing along to this anthemic refrain, they are lamenting. They are singing words of lament. They are praying. They are crying out to God. Now, I'll leave the singing to Bono, but here are the lyrics that he describes in this song. He says, I will sing, sing a new song. And then how long to sing this song? How long? I think this psalm suggests that even if we are offered the space to sift through all of our existential angst and confusion, we would still have to contend at the end of the day with an untamed God. A God who not only chooses to work through pain and suffering and confusion, but a God who sometimes moves so God-awfully slow. Jesus chooses to work through the pain and confusion with us rather than remove it from us. Jesus, he is a long-suffering God who entered our world, became human, and he joined us in chronological time. In him, we are being recreated and redeemed, and it's happening according to God's sovereign timing. And it may take years, it may take decades before our laments become praise. And the reality is that some of us might lament over some things for a lifetime while we are living in this broken and fallen world. But Pope John Paul II says it so well. He says, Do not abandon yourselves to despair, for we are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. We are the Easter people, and hallelujah is our song. As we continue to walk through this Lenten season towards Easter, friends, keep your eyes on the cross. Our laments eventually land at the foot of the cross. All of our laments, all of our pain, all of our suffering, eventually lands at the foot of the cross. Because in his life, Jesus entered the darkness of our humanity and cast his great light. In his death, Christ took on the full weight of evil and suffering. And through the cross, he is reconciling all things to himself. He is righting all of the wrongs. He is making all things good again. And in his resurrection, the promise of new life is ours, whether this is on the third day or some other uncontrolled schedule at work in the world. And these are the promises that stand us up on solid ground. And this is why we continue to pray boldly, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So friends, lament, yes. Grumbling, no. Despair, no. But lament, yes. So as we transition to the table, I invite you to give voice to both your thanksgiving 
and lament along with the psalmist. Because here's the good news about the table. Jesus meets us there. He invites us to pull up a chair and join him in the great feast. It's a feast that is proclaiming, yes, the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming in full. So at the table, we can bring both our thanksgiving and our lament. Do we say amen? Amen.